If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open with me to the Gospel according to Luke. Uh, We will be in Luke chapter 11, and we will begin in verse 45. Luke chapter 11 and verse 45. And today we're going to finish this little uh, subsection, I guess you call it, in Luke, where Jesus blasts his opponents by pronouncing woes upon them. And you remember that he's not doing this to be mean. He's not doing this unprovoked. He's not, uh, he, he didn't just decide to, uh, to, to be a, 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 a rude person or something like that. But rather, um, he, and he's not doing it out of anger, but rather he's in a hostile environment where the religious leaders that are surrounding him hate him. And they're trying to, uh, well, they're, they're, they're putting on shows, putting on airs and trying to be something that they're not. And so Jesus um, drops what you might call some truth bombs on them. And ultimately, he's doing this for their good. He's doing this uh, in, in the hopes, I guess you'd say, that they will uh, repent, they'll heed his warnings and get right with God. Now, we've looked at this little section a couple of times now. And uh, first, we saw his condemnation of the Pharisees' hypocrisy. Then we saw some woes that he pronounced on the, uh, the Pharisees that were there. And today we're going to see him turn his attention to some lawyers. So if you found Luke 11, I'd like you to stand if you're able. And we'll pick up in verse 45 and read down to the end of the chapter. And of course, he is at a meal with uh, some Pharisees and lawyers. And he's, he's just pronounced these woes to the Pharisees. And that's where we pick up in verse 45. One of the lawyers said to him in reply, Teacher, when you say this, you insult us too. But he said, Woe to you lawyers as well. For you weigh men down with burdens hard to bear, while you yourselves will not even touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets, and it was your fathers who killed them. So you are witnesses and approved the deeds of your fathers, because it was they who killed them, and you build their tombs. For this reason also the wisdom of God said, I will send, them, send to them prophets and apostles, and some of them they will kill, and some of them they will persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation." From the blood of Abel to the, uh, to the blood of Zechariah, who is killed between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You yourselves did not enter, and you hindered those who were entering. When he left there, the scribes and Pharisees began to, to be very hostile and, and to question him closely on many subjects, plotting against him to catch him in something he might say. Thank you. You may be seated. <clears throat> Now remember, as I said before, Jesus is at uh, a meal in a, Pharisee's, uh, in a Pharisee's home. Clearly it's not just him and the Pharisee. There were other Pharisees there. There were other lawyers there. And so he's talking to these Pharisees. He's, he's condemning them. And this lawyer gets bent out of shape. He gets offended too. And he felt like Jesus was insulting them. Now if, if we hadn't have already read through this text, we, we may not have expected Jesus to respond the way that he did. Because we may have expected him when the lawyer said, uh, when you say this, you're insulting us too. We might have expected him to be like, oh, well, you know, sorry, I didn't mean to offend. I was saying this to them. I wasn't saying it to you guys, you know, if the shoe fits where. But, uh, you know, I was really speaking to them. So just you can just kind of ignore what he has to say or what, I, what I've said to him. Uh, you, we might have thought that he would have said something like that. But instead, he's like, oh, that insults you? Well, hold on to your turban because this is really going to insult you. And, and he, he hits him with it. And he turns his attention to the lawyers and he first condemns them uh, for making following God harder than it needs to be. He condemns them for making following God harder than it needs to be. If you look at verse 46 again, 
um, he says that they were doing two things wrong. First, he says they were weighing men and women down. People who wanted to follow God, they were weighing them down with all kinds of extra burdens that, that, that were hard to bear. And the second thing they were doing wrong is they didn't even do the things that they said others should do. They didn't do those things themselves. Now, of course, we don't know all the things that they were saying, but, but we get a flavor of what they were doing in regards to, like, the Sabbath, for instance. And we know these things because uh, some of the rabbinical writings are, are still around. And we've talked about a lot of these things in the past, so I'm not going to hammer out all the things that they've done. I'll just kind of remind you of some of the stuff we've talked about by, by way of example of just a couple of things. They said there are certain things you can and cannot do on the Sabbath. And so, for instance, they said uh, you can't kindle a fire, you can't work in the field, you can't conduct commercial business and things like that. And we look at that and we say, well, that's, that's understandable because God says it should be a day of complete rest. You shouldn't be doing your, your normal stuff on, on the Sabbath. God says, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy and so forth. And so, so we look at that and we say, okay, well, I, I get that. But then they went beyond just those things that God specifically said don't do. And they said there are other things you cannot do as well. For instance, you can't tie a knot. You cannot, uh, women, you cannot braid hair. You cannot carry a load that weighs more than a dried fig. Although if you found a load that was half the weight of a dried fig, you could carry it twice. Um, you couldn't go more than about 3,000 feet, uh, 2,000 cubits. You, you couldn't go more than uh, 3,000 feet from your home. That was called a Sabbath day's journey. And, and if you went 3,001 feet, if you took that extra step, you were in sin, but you, you were safe to go that 3,000 feet. Women... You couldn't look in the mirror on the Sabbath. The reason why, you might see a gray hair and be tempted to pluck it. I mean, I mean, there, there are all these things that they come up with. Now, were all those things forbidden in Scripture? No. God obviously said, honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And he mentioned a few specific things, like don't work in the field and so forth. But he didn't come down to, you know, you can't tie a knot, you can't, uh, you can't pluck a, a gray hair out and things like that. What they had done was they wanted to build a fence around this commandment, and so they came up with all these extra rules and regulations. You can do this, but not that, and so forth. And they had these oral traditions built on top of the written law that God had given. And so these, these, these lawyers would say, if you want to be holy, you not only have to do what God said, but you have to do all these teachings that the rabbis have come up with. All these extra weights, all, the, all these extra burdens they were putting on people, and Jesus said... No, don't do that. Now, the Sabbath is just one area of the law. And you can imagine with that amount of nitpickiness over one, one item of the law, how much extra stuff that could expand into other areas as well. And not only were they putting all these extra burdens on people, what's worse is they didn't apply those things to themselves equally. So, for instance, with the Sabbath day's journey, and I've mentioned this before, they said you, you could only go... 3,000 feet or 2,000 cubits from your home. And what they would do is if they wanted to go somewhere on the Sabbath, before the Sabbath began, they would take a chair from their home and put it out there about a Sabbath day's journey from their intended destination. And then they would say, well, this, is, this chair is an extension of my home. And so then they would start there from their Sabbath day's journey as the origin, uh, point of origin, and, and then they would get to wherever they wanted to go. So they would make these little loopholes for themselves, and it was, uh, you guys need to do this, we'll do something else. This was good for thee, but not for me. And so, um, 
and, and again, that's just, that's just one example. There are other examples like in the scriptures, in the, in the gospels. Jesus got on to the scribes and the Pharisees, and he said, one of the things that God commands is to honor your father and mother. And in, in that culture, in that time, of course, they didn't have Medicare, they didn't have Social Security, and these other social safety nets, if you want to call them that. They didn't have that. And so part of honoring father and mother was to care for them and support them, especially after they got uh, where they were to an age and a health condition where they couldn't work themselves. And so, so what the scribes and the Pharisees would do is they would take money that they had that they could use to support their parents in their old age, and they would say, well, this money is Corbin. This money is, is devoted to God, and therefore it can't be used to help out you. Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. You're out of luck. And Jesus pointed to that, and he said, you guys are invalidating the law of God in order to keep the traditions of men. Okay, so they did all these extra things. They were heaping all these extra burdens on people, and they wouldn't apply it to themselves fairly or rightly. Now, what's, what's the problem with all this? Well, I think, hopefully, it's obvious. But what, what the problem is, is they're making following God harder than it needs to be. Now, I know, now listen, I, following God is sometimes hard. Amen? I mean, I know that, that John says in 1 John 5, 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. And so we look at that, and we may say, well... Pastor, you're saying that it's hard to follow God sometimes, and here this is saying that, that if we love God, His commands are not going to be burdensome. What I'm saying is, as we mature, as we draw closer to God in our faith, He will change our desires. He will make us more like Him. We will desire more and more often to do the things that please Him. We'll want to live a life that honors Him. And there's a fundamental change that God works into our lives from the inside out. But having said that, every day is still a battle. Every day we have to fight against the world, the flesh, and the devil. And every Christian, I think, can identify with Paul's words in Romans 7. He says, I don't do the things I want to do. The things I, I do the things I don't want to do, and I leave undone the things I do want to do. And he says, who, who will rescue me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And we're constantly battling against society and the, the corrupt society that, that, that we're up against, our, our flesh, our desires, all these different things. Are, are waging war against us. And listen, we don't need extra stuff to make it harder. And that's what these guys were doing. They were trying to make, uh, the, they, they were, I don't know that they were trying to, but they were making following God harder than it needed to be. And, and Jesus condemned them for that. Going on, he condemned them for rejecting the message of the prophets. He condemned them for rejecting the message of the prophets. If you look at verses 47 and following, now, there are some passages that when you read them, it's hard to misunderstand what's being said. It's hard to misunderstand Jesus when he says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, you must be born again. It's hard to misunderstand God when he says, you shall not murder. I mean, that, that's tough to misunderstand. Do not steal, do not lie. Those things are easy to understand. But then there are passages whose meaning is it takes some it takes some pondering you know what that is right it's when you cogitate when you sit and you mull things over and this is one of those passages it's it takes some it takes some some thinking about so i want to work through this little section here with what he says and and see if we can understand it verse 47 it seems counterintuitive he says woe to you for you build the tombs of the prophets and it was your father's 
who killed them. So you are witnesses and approve the deeds of your fathers because it was they who killed them and you build their tombs. Now it seems like these men are building and beautifying the tombs of the prophets and therefore they are honoring the prophets in doing so. But Jesus says that's not the way it is. That's not the way God sees things. He knows what's going on on in the heart. It's not just outward appearances he looks at. He knows the intention of the heart. So verse 48, he says, In building the tombs, in building the tombs that the, of the men that their ancestors killed, they are essentially linked to that act. They are act two of the same play. They're verse two of the same song. Like father, like son. And, and the ancestors finished the guys off, and these guys came along and built their tombs. One sowed, the other reaped. Verse 49, for this reason, God's going to send prophets and apostles. For what reason? To show the true nature and true intention of their heart was not to honor the prophets, but rather it, it would expose the hypocrisy of their acts. How so? Because after the resurrection and ascension of Christ, the people of God, namely the, the apostles and there were prophets in the early church, what did the religious leaders do to them? They persecuted them and killed them. They did the same thing that their ancestors had done. In other words, like father, like son, they killed the spokesman of God. Now we see this in stark relief in their, in their treatment of Christ himself. Here is God incarnate walking around among them. And what do they do to him? They crucify him. And yet they're acting like they are honoring the prophets that God had sent. Listen, the way that you honor a prophet is not by killing him and giving him a nice grave. The way that you honor a prophet is by listening to what he says and ordering your life accordingly. It's giving heed to his message. Now, the prophet's contemporaries clearly did not heed the message because they killed the prophets. That was not their message. Their their message was not, kill us. Their message was, turn to God. Their message was, repent. Their message was, trust God, follow God. And the lawyers and the Pharisees and, and others of Jesus' day, they didn't honor the message of Christ. Instead, they killed the disciples. They killed Jesus himself. Now, it's easy to, to sit here and, and look at these guys and kind of shake our heads and tisk tisk and, and all those things and, and feel good about ourselves because we would never do something like that. But I wonder, have you given heed to the message of the pro- prophets and apostles? Not simply do you revere them, not simply do you think highly of them, not simply if, if we had their graves today, would you go and lay a wreath on their, on their grave? But what about their message? I mean, Moses was a prophet, and he told us that we should love God with all of our heart, soul, and strength. How are you doing on that one? Are you loving God supremely? Are you loving Him with your whole being? Are you loving Him above all else? Over and over again, the prophets, all throughout the Old Testament, they would call the people of God to, to, to show the love of God, to care for uh, the widows and the orphans, to not mistreat others, to love justice and so forth. Do you do that? The prophet Isaiah says that all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, speaking of Christ. And he says in Isaiah 53, verse 5, But he, speaking of Christ, was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. Isaiah says in another place that though your sins be like scarlet, they can be white as snow. 
And the way that happens is when we put our trust in Christ. It's, it's, when we, it's when we believe the message of the apostles, when we believe the message of the prophets, and we heed their message and do what God has said through them. So have you given heed to the message of the prophets? Have you given heed to the message and the teachings of the apostles? If you've never done so, I call on you now, right where you are, to believe on the Lord Jesus. Again, back to the text, you may be looking at this and kind of scratching your head in verses 50 and 51, where he says, So so that the blood of all the prophets shed since the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who is killed between the altar and the house of God. Yes, I tell you, it shall be charged against this generation. Now, when we look at that, I, I think there are two questions that need to be asked. The first is, why would the blood of all the prophets be charged against this generation that he was speaking to? That's number one. Number two, what is he talking about when he refers to Abel and Zechariah? So I'm going to try to answer those questions uh, in order. For the first question, think back to Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, God is making a covenant with Abraham. At that point, his name was Abram. And he's telling Abram what's going to happen to his posterity. And, and one of the things he says is, Your descendants will be enslaved in a foreign land, in a land that's not their own, for 400 years. And then he says that he's going to lead them out of this bondage. And here's what he says in verse, uh, Genesis 15 and verse 16. He says, Then in the fourth generation they will return here. Uh, at that point, Abram was in Canaan, the, the land of Canaan. And then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. In other words, God is going to take the children of Israel, lead them out of Egyptian bondage, and take them to what, what became the land of promise, to Canaan. And in doing so, part of the reason he's doing that is because the sin of the Amorites. You might, maybe you've read that in the past and you kind of scratched your head. Maybe you've read it and never noticed it. What in the world is he saying? God is using the Exodus event for a couple of, of purposes, one of which is to fulfill his promise to Abraham, or Abram. Part of it also is to bring correction and judgment on the Amorites, who is one of the people groups in Canaan. And what he's saying is, when I bring your, your descendants into this land, they will dispossess the people of that land. And they will be dispossessed, they will be judged, many of them will die in battle. And that will be a rod of punishment on them because of their sin. Now, if you'll notice in Genesis 15, 16, even at that point, the Amorites are building up their sin. They're already contributing to the sin that they will eventually be judged for. But they had way more than even 400 years to get right with God. Because that's how long Israel was enslaved. But even when he was talking to Abraham or Abram, they were already storing up punishment for their sin. So they had hundreds of years to get right with God, generation after generation, and eventually God punished the nation as a whole for this collective sin that they've been building up. He had been withholding for years and years and years. He didn't wipe them out when he could have, but for years and years and generation after generation of sin and disobedience, God had withheld, and finally he judged them. Likewise, the nation of Israel had killed the prophets that God had sent to them. You know, you got Jeremiah and, and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Daniel and and uh, Zechariah and Malachi and all, all these different prophets, among others, that God had sent to them. And they had killed them. They had abused them. They had done 
terrible things to them, and God had not judged them immediately for that. But there was coming a time, and, and eventually, of course, Jesus, they, they killed him, the apostles, the disciples, killed them. And finally, they reached, they reached the limit, they filled up that, that measure of sin, and God brought judgment on their iniquity. They, too, would be punished. That's what he's talking about. The second question about between the uh, Abel and Zechariah, there's a little detail about the Hebrew Bible. If you know it, it'll help, it'll, it'll help this to, to open up a little bit. The Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, has the same books that we do, but they have them in a different order. Okay, so we order ours with the law, and you know we have Psalms, the wisdom literature, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and so forth. And we have the major prophets and the minor prophets, and, and we have ours structured that way. They have Genesis at the beginning. Have you ever heard of the Have you ever heard the word Tanakh? Maybe you have. It's, it's based on the letters T and K. T for Torah, N for Nevaim, and K for Ketuvim. The law, Torah, the Nevaim, the prophets, and the writings, Ketuvim. Okay, so they structure their scriptures. They have the Torah, the books of Moses. Then they have the prophets, Isaiah and all them. And then the writings, so Chronicles and, and so forth. Their last book is not Malachi. Their last book is Second Chronicles. Okay, so it starts in Genesis, and they, they organize things differently. Second Chronicles is, is a very late book as far as the writings go. And in Second Chronicles, chapter 24, it records an account with King Joash. Joash, you might remember, was uh, a king who began to reign when he was seven years old. He, um, he decided to rebuild the temple. For many years it had been neglected. And he began to rebuild the temple. And there was a priest during that time by the name of Jehoiada. And he worked closely with Jehoiada. They got the, the temple reestablished. They got it back up and going. It was repaired. People began to worship God and do the right things. But then Jehoiada the priest died. He was 130 years old. He died. And the people began to worship idols again. And here's, here's how this ties into our text today. 2 Chronicles chapter 24, verses 20 to 22. It says, Then the Spirit of God came on Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, Thus God has said, Why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord and do not prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has also forsaken you. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king, they stoned him to death in the court of the house of the Lord. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness which his father Jehoiada had shown him. But he murdered his son, and as he died, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. So Jesus... Of course, we know what happened to Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel, brothers, Genesis chapter 4, they go out in the field. Cain kills Abel. And God says, the blood of your brother is crying out to me, presumably for vengeance. So we have Abel, the first martyr. It was on account of his faith that he died. We have Zechariah, the last prophet there who was killed. And Jesus says, all the prophets in between there, those are bookends, from first to last. All that's going to be charged against this generation. God has been long-suffering. The, the people of Israel are mistreating the, the, the messengers of God, but one day God would bring that judgment. I don't know if that helps you, but whenever I read through it, I just kind of scratched my head at first, and so hopefully, hopefully you understand a little bit. Uh, finally, we, we see that he gives one more pronouncement of woe in verse 52. 
and he condemned them for hindering others from entering heaven. He says, you have taken away the key of knowledge yourselves, and you, you yourselves did not enter. Now, a key is to open something that's locked. In this case, he seems to be talking about the scriptures. And, 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 and by their addition to and their misinterpretations of scripture, they were blind to how to enter the kingdom of God themselves. And what's worse is they were making it more difficult for the people that they interacted with, the people that they taught. They were making it more difficult. They were hindering them from entering the kingdom of God themselves. And obviously that's something that displeases God. Now the Bible in verse 53 and 4 it doesn't, state, it doesn't state how much longer Jesus stayed at the meal. I can't imagine it would have been very, very much longer after that. He probably would have been invited to uh, hit the road. Um, but no matter how long it is, after that, the disciples, be, or the, the disciples, the Pharisees, began to take opportunities to hit him with question after question from all different angles and to try and trip him up in something that he would say. And we read about that happening many times in the Gospels, especially towards the end of his life. This is a big reason why they did that. Because he torqued them off. He called them out. He, he, told, he condemned them. He pronounced woe on them. And I, I believe that all three of these things have something to say to us. Those of us who, are, who have been entrusted with teaching classes, or preaching sermons, or leading Bible studies, or whatever it is, we need to take that, that, that seriously. We have a responsibility to not hinder people from entering the kingdom. And as you think about the classes that you teach and the Bible says that you lead and, and so forth, are you hindering people from entering the kingdom of God? We're in a similar vein. Are you making following God more difficult than it needs to be? I mean, it's, it's tough enough. I was looking at the Ten Commandments. I have a hard time with those. And there are all kinds of other things the Bible says, and, and I have trouble doing those things. And, and I know you do too. But do you impose upon others or even yourself extra rules and regulations that are not taught in Scripture? Yes, we need to live right. This is not a call to, to, to lawless living. But listen, there's freedom in following Christ. Do you believe, do you heed, do you follow the teachings of the apostles that we find in the New Testament, of the prophets that we find in the Old and New Testaments? Not just do you understand the words that are written, but do you strive to order your life after those things? Because a lot of times what we do is we, we read something that we don't like, and so we try to say, well, that's true, but. I know it says this, but. No, we don't fit the scriptures to us. We need to fit ourselves to the scriptures. And the first and foremost part of that is being born again. Of answering that call to salvation as God says, You are a sinner. You have broken my law. You have violated my commandments. That sin separates you from God. But if you will repent of your sin and trust on the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. And if you've never done that again, I, I call on you today to do that. Why don't you stand with me as musicians come. And as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes.
And just in the quiet of this time, I want to uh, just ask you to examine your heart. I don't know where you are in your walk with God. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the things you struggle with. But I know there's grace, there's forgiveness, there's restoration when we've sinned. Which of those things is what you need to focus on? Our Heavenly Father, we ask that even now that you would um, that you would examine our hearts, that you'd help us as we examine our hearts. And God, if there's something, if there's some evil way within us, I pray that you would identify that to us. Let us turn from that, forsake it. God, help us in those times when we uh, maybe have a, a teaching or a preaching responsibility and we don't take it seriously. God, I pray that you would help us to, to read and understand and heed the words of Scripture, the words of the prophets and the apostles as they're recorded in the Bible. And God, I pray again that if there's somebody here or somebody that's listened to me in another place or another time that has never accepted Christ as their Savior, you would draw them to yourself even now. In Jesus' name, amen.